Hey, what is up, nerds? Guess what I want to tell you about. Have you ever listened to the show and you thought to yourself, man, I want to wear what they're saying? Well, folks, we have that for you right now. That's right. All the content that you're hearing on the show and original content is located at the merch at nerdonomy.com. That's right. We have t-shirts. We have things that are made in the U.S. Support the Nerdonomy. Support the U.S. Just wear our stuff. Awesome. Listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, David McGuire, and Sarah Ashley. The thing about Kevin Smith is, ever since he's ended the View Askew universe movies, he does these movies where they're so different than what he's been used to doing. He's been kind of experimenting, you know? If you look at what he's done since, mm-hmm. if you want to count Jane Silent Bob, I think Clerks 2 kind of falls in its own apocryphal. A little bit. Area. And so yeah. will Clerks 3. Um, if you look at, like, Jersey Girl, for sure. Jersey Girl was his attempt at making a studio mm-hmm. rom-com. Yeah. Basically. And I thought it worked. Some people hated it. I actually liked it. If you look at Zack and Mary make a porno, totally different. More like an indie feel to it, but definitely Judd Apatow, gross-out comedy kind of style yeah. movie. And then look at Cop Out. Cop Out was another studio buddy comedy, right? Mm-hmm. And then look at Red State. Totally different. Complete 180. Oh, well, Red State, the story is very interesting because Mm -hmm. it's, I think Kevin Smith looks at it as more like a satire. I could be wrong. It's like a satire mixed with a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And there are moments in the movie that are absolutely terrifying. But the trouble, I think, is that there's no one main character in the story. So it would work, I think, in context of like a novel. Mm -hmm. But on film, I had a hard time really seeing the cohesive nature of the movie. But it was still fun to watch. It was very entertaining. And the totally, like, it was like good on you, sir, for being able to do a totally different kind of movie than you've ever done before. Right, right. You know, and there's no score in the movie either. Hmm. Which is doubly weird because he's usually good about putting in those great songs at key moments yeah. of uh, his films. Speaking of music and film, did you hear about the Tarantino? Yeah, he got verbally bitch slapped by Ennio Morricone. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that was kind of ridiculous. Who, who pretty much said straight up, Quentin Tarantino doesn't know how to put. What I think is really funny is we all emailed this to each other. Yeah. Thinking, oh, we should put this on the blog. We should put this on the blog. So we all. So it's probably going to go on there. It's going to go up on the roundup um, this week, definitely. Like he talks about like how he just throws in music into films without thinking about it, and And I'm not necessarily sure that's true. I don't think so either. For me, when I think of Django Unchained, the opening. And the closing of those movies were both very strong when it came to scoring. And it felt very Spaghetti Western with the score. I think there was the one moment, though, when he has the whip and he's Mm -hmm. in that kind of Shakespearean-looking outfit. You know what I'm talking about? He basically whips the whipper, which is fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, There's those moments. I think those were all very pointed, very well-crafted moments for music. I can't really think of any of the other moments. None of those other moments really come to mind where the music was sloppily put in there. I don't feel like it's sloppy. I feel like he definitely has these moments where the music maybe kind of pulls you out a little bit of the story, but not necessarily in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So much in a mm-hmm. way of it, it's getting you to kind of remember, okay, this is a story. What do you think of the story? What do you think of this moment right now? What? And I think it causes... A certain amount of, of mental process for the viewer and so mm-hmm. i think uh, i think i actually appreciate that yeah there's those so. movies where you walk out of it and you have this there's a mixed emotions and it's really like it's truly like it's not two emotions it's mm-hmm. like five emotions that are you're all and you're like i really just need to sit on this and like let it right. soak in right and sometimes it takes a second viewing 
when I remember when I first saw X Men, mm-hmm. it was very much like all these different. And then, granted, I was fifteen at the time, so sure, you know, not necessarily an, an emotionally mature individual. But I remember it took multiple viewings for me to say, "Oh yeah, actually, I dig this story. I dig what's going on with it." Because the ending to me felt so ambiguous with the the chess piece and like, okay, so clear setup for a sequel at that point. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. I just I wasn't sure if I wanted if that's what I was expecting out of the movie. So I think was, the first time I was when I saw X Men, I just felt so caught up in how different the story was. <laughs> yeah, compared to other superhero movies, well, you mean? well, compared to like X Men the animated series, and that there were there were some liberties taken that I was just like, wait a minute, 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 and I was at, I was very much focused on being a purist. I think the first time I saw yeah. it, and then I think it got well, got over it a little bit. I feel like the liberties that were taken were more in realms to, like, costumes, but I feel like the character origins were fairly true. Uh, my biggest issue was having um, Rogue be with Wolverine. Oh, Rogue be, Rogue be 17 years old instead of yeah. being... Yeah. Instead of being, like, uh, an adult. Because it takes away from, you know, the, there was the, that dynamic was the Wolverine and Jubilee dynamic. And you're also probably th- mentioning the romance between her and Iceman, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. The fir- I mean, when I saw X-Men, I was livid that there was no Gambit. Where is Gambit? They were originally going to have a Gambit. They ended up not being able to work him in. So uh, I can't remember who they were going to cast, but they had in the earlier scripts, they had Gambit written in. I think they were actually going to work him in, in X-Men 3 originally, but then all the shit hit the fan with mm-hmm. Brian Singer and him doing Superman instead. And then when they put Gambit in, they put it in the Origin movie, right? For they put Wolverine. It, and and it was, was so, just, so it was lackluster, too. Good. The way that Gavin Hood did that movie was so over the top and so like, oh, cool, I'm going to shoot above, I'm going to go in slow motion, very trying to be the Matrix. And, you know, I, we, I've gone on on this in other episodes, yeah, so I, I won't. I'm re- rehashing this. those these nerd feelings of rage. But it's okay. These things come keep coming back up. Why? Because we're, we're anticipating Days of Future Past. And, of course, and indeed. So excited about that. Most of uh, the original yeah. cast is coming back. And the fact that it's going to be both Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart and Michael Fassbender yes. and James McAvoy. Yes. And so Ellen cool. Page is going to come back. Jennifer Lawrence is coming back. Holly Berry is coming back. So lots of like playing with different times. Holly Berry being Storm, though. Actually, and here's why. Um, because she kept, like, with each movie, with X-Men, you know, 1, 2, and 3, she kept losing the accent until she just straight up dropped it in the third one. Yeah. She, like, had it in the first one and didn't right. really sound right. Well, the Storm in the animated series never really had an accent. Yeah, I know. So that's why I'm like, why, why'd they try? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was definitely a little weird. I think, though, there was rumors about the casting in the late 90s. Yeah. The original rumors would have been much better, which was Angela Bassett, the Storm. <gasps> when she was younger, she would have been amazing yeah. as Storm. Ooh, or, um, oh, God, now I can't remember her name right now. She's married to Lawrence Fishburne. She was in um, Firefly. Oh, but I know who you're talking about, though. If she were known back then... Oh, she would have been great. Oh, hell yeah. Or no, I would say even Tanya Newton would make a good Storm. Tanya Newton was in uh, Rock and Rolla, and she was uh, she was the love interest in Mission Impossible 2. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she'd be really good. And she's on some show on... Um, <laughs> this is so specific. She's on some show on a premium channel right now. That is very specific. Super specific. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Not. So did you see <laughs> that picture I posted on Facebook the other day? No. Yeah, I, uh, it was like yesterday. I don't remember everything you put on your Facebook, Brian. Well, you should, okay? That would be really sad if I was, like, Facebook stalking all the time. I'd be like, what's Brian up to right now? Is he checking in anywhere nearby? Anyway, so what picture did you post on your Facebook? So I posted that there was this wonderful picture, uh, black and white, of this very sultry redhead singing nearby Bob Hoskins in a nightclub in 1948. Oh, did... 
Did, I thought you posted up on Nerds on Film. I did. Oh, okay. I thought you were like, talking about your personal Facebook. Well, no, I was talking about the group Facebook. Oh, you said my Facebook. Well, oh. I don't know. I can be wrong. I think I said the Facebook page, oh. but okay. Anyway, if I said my, it was un- I unintentional. I thought you were talking about yours. I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw that. I definitely yeah. saw that one. It was a stand-in. Clearly, she was the... Ex- five points. Uh, she was the uh, basis for the animation for Jessica Rabbit, because... Yeah. They needed a, a visual reference point mm-hmm. for Bob Hoskins to have his jaw drop at. Because yeah. she was pretty hot. How um, cool would that be to be, like, the the basis of Jessica Rabbit? Like, that's awesome. It's pretty sweet, yeah. Just to be, like, well, actually, to be the, the kind of the placeholder for any cartoon, I think, would actually be really rad. Yeah. Well, you know Alex Ross, the comic book artist? He does these very lifelike paintings of scenes. Mm-hmm. He did a, uh, well, he's done a couple big things, but his major work um, in the DC universe was Kingdom Come. Heard of it? No? I have not. Okay. So he does I'm not these. big on DC. So. Okay. We also did um, Marvels okay. back in the early 90s. All right. And you'll know his style because his style is all these big paintings. Mm-hmm. These, he does literally these murals that they photograph and then put into panels for the comics. They're unbelievable, but he uses live stand ins. Oh, okay. For, so if you look at the, his version of Superman or his version of Batman. Uh huh when they're in that a certain pose there's some dude who he's friends with who he stylizes like that and it's really cool it's got this kind of a shine look to it too it's, it's really interesting anyway it got me thinking about an email was it an email we got from billy or was it a, uh, a it was Facebook? an email do you want to actually enter the, the podcast before we dive right into absolutely it? i did All right. and with that welcome to nerd zone film everybody i'm brian moriarty and I'm Sarah Ashley. It's just the two of us again. It is just the two of us. Fancy running to you, yeah. Drinking on St. Patrick's Day. Well, by the time that we're recording this, we're it's, it's St. Patrick's Day. It is. It is National Irish Christmas. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we are um, sipping a very fine bottle of Jameson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not sipping the whole bottle. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, sipping... <laughs> we're down in the whole bo- a bottle each. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the Irish stereotype, wouldn't it? It would be. Because Moriarty is Irish and... Uh, you're Irish. I am Irish. I yeah. do have Irish family members. You're wearing a really awesome Colada green t-shirt right now. I am. It's Well, it's my Flogging Molly t-shirt because I'm a huge Flogging Molly fan. It's one of two that I have. But yeah. And I was wearing a green dress celebrating yesterday, and I've just been celebrating all weekend. Actually, all week. I painted my nails green earlier last weekend, and I've been celebrating. It's it, St. Patrick's Day is... I want to say my second or third favorite holiday. Yeah. What I find fascinating is that we celebrate the holiday for the man who is the considered the main patron saint of Ireland, and yet he's actually English. So, eh. go figure. But he didn't chase the snakes out of England. No, he did not. That was legend. Yes. Or, I mean, out of Ireland. No, I'm saying he didn't chase the snakes out of England. That's why I represent for Ireland, because that's where he chased the oh, snakes yeah. out of. True. There's also, um, did you know, actually, Ireland has, Ireland has three patron saints? Go on. Uh, yes, Patrick is only one of them. Okay. There's actually two others. There's um, St. Columba mm-hmm. and St. Bridget. Oh, okay. And usually St. Bridget and Columba are kind of closely associated with one mm-hmm. another. Anyway, we were talking about Roger Rabbit, and then the, uh, it got me thinking about the email we got from Billy. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, Billy did uh, shoot us over an email a few weeks ago. We read it on the podcast. But she was talking about, um, she kind of brought up that she saw on Netflix a movie called Cool World. Um, with Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger. And, um, you know, that that movie was um, uh, live-action and animation mixed, 2D animation mixed. Yes. And so she kind of, like, wanted to just bring it up, and and she brought up some interesting questions about CGI, and and when you use CGI, does that count as a live-action animation mix? And and so, yeah, it kind of sparked some conversation. So here we are tackling the topic now. 
Are you excited, Brian? I am excited because when I think of live action animation, I think immediately of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is why I posted the picture that we did a couple days ago on our Facebook page. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems like that was so groundbreaking because of how well they did it, but it really wasn't groundbreaking at all because they've been doing live action and animation since the beginning, pretty much. They have been doing it since the beginning. Um, One of the earlier or earliest examples of mixing live action and animation. It was kind of done in an interesting way. It actually kind of started off as a a vaudeville act with, uh, with a film called Gertie the Dinosaur. Which is arguably one of the earliest, if not the earliest cartoon. It is one of the earliest cartoons, yeah. Yeah. It's noted more so as one of the first times that animation was done with a character, a specific character that had like a real personality and and stuff, and that was the dinosaur's personality. Um, Other times they were just kind of doing it more like a demonstration of animation. Right, just Um, to see if it could be done. Right. So, Gertie the Dinosaur came out in 1914 as a vaudeville act, like I said, by a guy named Windsor McKay. And it was interesting because the way he did it was, it was a stage performance. So, they were projecting the animation behind him, and he would come out, and he was in a tux, and he was interacting with the dinosaur. Like, he had, like, a whip as if he was doing it kind of like training a dinosaur type thing. And so, he was talking to the dinosaur, kind of doing a little back and forth. So, almost like a stage magic kind of yeah. approach. Yeah. Interesting. Um, he would toss an orange, and that orange would get picked up by, like, all of a sudden become, like, animation. And, you know, it oh. kind of became a whole thing. So, it was all very well synchronized. Yes. Very well synchronized to the point that the big finale of it was that he would walk off stage. Then, all of a sudden, a cartoon version of himself would um, all of a sudden be there. And he would, like, ride off on the dinosaur. Oh, uh, well done. Yeah. Art. That's yes. definitely a work. I would consider that performance art today. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was kind of one of the the earliest cases. And, you know, we don't necessarily see it, you know, quite like Roger Rabbit because, again, it was like, you know. And it was, she was a little outline. She wasn't even colored in. She wasn't even colored in. Actually, if you guys go to the Wikipedia page for Gertie the Dinosaur, you can see like a movie version of it. Like they actually have the dinosaur animation stuff, but there's like a whole intro that's actually all done live action. And then instead of the guy actually giving his commands or whatever, they have the word cards. Um, for the dialogue. But from there, more like what we're used to now when we're mixing live action and animation, um, closer to something along the lines of Roger Rabbit or Mary Poppins or something like that, was kind of really brought to the forefront by um, Max Flesher. Yeah. Who did Betty Boop, Popeye, and Superman. He did. He did some of the best Superman cartoons in the day. And those Superman cartoons looked, by the way, looked very realistic. Oh, yeah. And also were the influence for the Batman the Animated Series, the mm-hmm. original couple se- first two seasons of it. So mm-hmm. very, very influential artist. But I never saw any of his work where he experimented with live action, though. So where you want to go see that is um, go to YouTube and look up Coco the Clown. It's K-O-K-O. Co- unless, unless, of course, you're colorphobic, in which case, don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you don't like clowns like me. I'm not a fan, but I did see this. And actually, one of the ones that I saw was really creepy. Um, but, <laughs> but those ones um, kind of played with it in a way that we're actually, you know, we commonly see in, um, you know, reference to in, in later animation. But kind of the hand of the animator as he's drawing and then these animations would come to life so oh, that cool. happened so that happened a lot with that and then also um you'd have uh coco the clown like running around the animator's office like screwing with him and stuff so he's running around and he's like you know carrying like a thing of tnt dropping it behind the artist's <laughs> desk and and that kind of stuff apparently and i wasn't able to find this one but apparently there's one where he gets into a boxing match with a kitten and the kitten is live action oh cute yeah so uh, that was kind of kind of interesting yeah. and actually 
you can see a colorized version of Coco the Clown in Roger Rabbit. He has a cameo. Oh, very cool. He's one of the many cartoon characters that has a cameo in that. That's very, very clever. Well, I know Zemeckis did a lot of research when he did that Mm -hmm. movie. Also, of course, we can't talk about live-action animation combo without talking about Walt Disney. Yes. Because even before he had started Disney Productions, he was experimenting with this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you even said it was before even Oswald the Rabbit. It was before he... This was one of his earliest directorial achievements. Again, prior to Mickey, prior to Oswald, um, he did a thing called the Alice Comedies. Mm -hmm. And it was a full-blown animated world with one single girl. As a matter of fact, actually, uh, Eric and I, of course, my co-host for Nerds on History, we were mm-hmm. at the Disney Museum, and there's pictures, there's stills of her in the, in her adventures. It's crazy. Yeah. Continue. I'm sorry. I just want to... So she was, yeah, a live-action girl who was interacting in an, in an animated world. And mm-hmm. I think the girl's name was Virginia Hess or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so that that was also kind of kind of playing with it. Um, again, a little bit closer to the way we understand um, live a- action animation. Yeah, and then of course you know Disney later went on and there was Song of the South, Mary Poppins, Pete's Dragon, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But knobs and broomsticks, all these ones where they were mixing with it all right. the way. Of up. course, the Incredible Mr. Limpet as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. yeah, and really like brilliant animation, good stories too, of course. Mm-hmm blended in and i think though mary poppins was his almost his crowning achievement before he passed because you were fully immersed in a world and it's easy to technologically speaking to impose anime characters and print it in a way because disney was one of the first people to use optical printers Mm -hmm. to do superimposing to impose a anime character that's animated on cellophane is a layer on top of a shot which is what they did for the the penguin dance part for Mary Poppins, right? Right. But it's a whole other element when you have to layer the, the humans to get them to fit into an animated background. Yes. And that's what was so mind-blowing about that sequence, mm-hmm. is it was humans in an animated world, not animated creatures in a human world. And I, I guess what they did for that particular scene in Mary Poppins was um, they were dancing to like a painted background. Yeah. Um, and then they put the penguins in after. I guess if we want to talk about the process, we should probably go back to Max Flesher and rotoscoping. Rotoscoping is, in fact, so influential in that it's the word that special effects artists use to consider whenever they paint a graphic upon a film frame. Whether it's considered animated or not, it's considered rotoscoping in some form or another. And Max Flesher was the one who invented the rotoscope, which is why I brought him up. So. Nice. And basically, that was the process, right? That mm-hmm. was the process with which you could merge animation with live-action shots. Yeah. yeah. And I guess um, when he when he invented the rotoscope and, and that whole process, um, Coco the Clown, again, going back to that, um, his brother was filmed doing the Coco the Clown stuff, and then he just painted over it, essentially, mm-hmm. with, with the character. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense, because you need a reference point when you're dealing with live-action. That's the mm-hmm. one thing that we found is the challenge with every single live-action piece is the live-action actor needs something to, to look at and right. to interact with. So um, motion capture suits have been very heavily used. Of course, Avatar was an ambitious example of it because it's mostly characters who are in motion capture suits and right. very few characters who are not. But that really begs that question, though, is like when you see movies like that and you get see that it's so far gone into that, that blending, where's the line between animation live-action and when is it just computer-generated characters? Right. Like Stuart Little, too, right? Stuart mm-hmm. Little was the only character in a completely human world. And does that count as an animated character or I, not? I don't know. 
I would think so. And this is where it gets really tricky because is it the characterization? Is it something about the appearance? And, and we were just kind of starting to talk about this a little bit. Um, Roger Ebert basically said, in his opinion, that it doesn't count unless it looks like animation. So it needs to be very clearly different. Now, in his opinion, Jar Jar Binks, which I know we're talking about him on this podcast. I apologize now, but it's for a reference for the argument. I'm sorry. In his opinion. <laughs> Sound guy just left the room. <laughs> He's just like, I'm over it. Yeah, Jar Jar Binks, in Roger Ebert's opinion, is animation because he's such a like animated character. But my, disagree. Yeah, in my in my opinion, I feel like that's part of that world. That is a normal thing for that world to have that. Yeah. I think the Gungans in the film, I mean, in general, we can go and that's a whole other can of worms. But the quality with which they were animated, they I think they could have been done a little bit better, but I think they were intended to be characters who were meant to be in that world. Yes. Um, it's funny that Billy brings up Cool World, because Cool World, the linchpin of this movie is that concept of tuned characters interacting with human characters. It's yes. like it's in a world where we accept that two-dimensional cartoon characters interact with humans and that you're like there's certain things you're of do's and don'ts that you have between these two different character types. As Sound Guy is saying, an animated douche is still a douche. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Touche. Well done. <laughs> That's totally fair. Um, to a certain extent. Um, let's take a scene from Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. There is one scene when Audrey is singing somewhere that's green and she's kind of having her little fantasy life. Yeah. And she's in the kitchen over the sink and a little animated bird flies in and lands on her finger. And, you know, it's just a it's just a few seconds. Yeah. But it's very clearly that's an animated bird. It yeah. is a two dimensional animated bird. Now, if that bird were done as CGI. Where does that line get drawn? The answer to that question is it goes back to style. Because even if it was done in CGI, how would the artist who made the bird chosen to draw the bird? Because just doing it in computer doesn't necessarily mean it has to look real, Mm -hmm. right? It can still look very cartoonish and look very animated. Um, Another good example of um, the deliberate choice to work in animated characters, even though there's all the technology to support otherwise, is 500 Days of Summer. Okay, yeah, yeah. When there's the musical number and the, the birds right. flying in the shoulder. But I think that was more referential, right? It was more referential, but nevertheless, it was a, a distinct choice, right, mm-hmm. to integrate animation into live-action environment. So if they had done the bird in a non-realistic way, then it would have qualified as animation. You know, I don't want to say that realism has to be what guides it, but I think in that particular circumstance, that would have been the flipping point. Okay, that's interesting looking at, um, I guess, more like cutaway shots or um, things that are more like fantasy-based. fantasy, fantasy based. I mean, if we're talking live action and, and animation, you you cannot not talk about Anchors Away with Gene Kelly, where he was doing his dance number with Jerry the Mouse. Of course. Yeah, that's that's classic. Yes. And that, I think, is intended to be yes. a merge. For, I mean, you Very can't clearly. not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's not like he was even mouse size. Right. He was definitely cartoony. Yeah. Um, and actually, Family Guy did a little reference to that where um, Seth MacFarlane actually just put in Stewie as Jerry the Mouse and they just played the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, you know. Well, he was about the size, too, because Jer- yeah. Jerry Mouse was huge in that scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was definitely a cute scene. And um, I think on YouTube they have it where they play them back to back or like right next side by side, I should say. Mm-hmm. So you can watch them both. Yeah. But uh, kind of interesting. Uh, that's one thing I have yeah. about so as a side tangent my issues sometimes with Seth MacFarlane's humor where he just basically takes a normal scene 
from a movie and just puts in like a different character and all of a sudden it's supposed to be funnier. I don't really understand yeah. that. But Well, I would say that going back to Ebert's theory, mm-hmm. I agree with it. I disagree with his assessment of Jar Jar Binks. I think to be more specific, if the world that the character is coming from looks like it's animated, look like it's supposed to be what we conceive of as, as two-dimensional animation or even three-dimensional, but very clearly stylized, not going for realism, mm-hmm. then I think it qualifies as a cartoon character. Okay. Um, and that becomes into a very, very big gray area because when you look at a character like Gollum, yes. who is supposed to be a former hobbit who through the, the Ring of Sauron gets transformed into this weird creature, you have to ask yourself, well, is that a cartoon? Or not? I don't think it is. I think he's meant to be as close to what you can get yes. for him being. But he's supposed to look that way because of the ring, right? Right. And and again, I think when you get into a fantasy genre or a sci-fi fantasy genre, it's tough, like Star yeah. Wars, that's that's a little different because you are talking about something that's expected, semi-expected for that place and time, right? Um, like the elephants in the scene in Return of the King; those were right. very clearly meant to look real, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now. What about King Kong? That brings up a really good point, because the original King Kong was also a stop-motion character. And I would still say it's not a cartoon. It's meant to be a creature within that world. How realistic they got with the original King Kong, well, you know, they did the best they could. Mm -hmm. With Andy Serkis' performance of King Kong, there was live motion capture that they transferred into the computer. And I think also that's another qualifier, too, is if it was a person who was capturing motion, and they're using that as the basis for everything of that character, it's not animation at that point. Oh, using yeah, that, hmm. yeah, using somebody as a standing point. I don't know how much I agree with that. Okay, well, I would say on top of that, the amount of realism they put into the gorilla's visage—it's intended to be real. It's not intended to be an animated character. Okay, but I understand your point though. Is well, what if the animators liked a choice that the stand-in actor made, and they used that to color the yeah the character? Yeah, it becomes an even darker gray area in that case. I think what it comes down to is, are you doing it for technical purposes, or are you doing it for artistic purposes? And I know that sounds really general. Not really. I mean, it makes sense to me. Right. So, like, where King Kong, Gollum, those things, where where that comes into play. You know, even doing Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness, where they were using, you know, stop motion monsters and that kind of thing in mm-hmm. certain in certain areas that's a technical choice yeah that's what they needed to get the effect exactly. they're looking for it wasn't artistically done necessarily for the purpose of saying this character from this other world this is, is interacting animated. with ours yeah. yeah now what about actually you brought this one up earlier before we started recording garfield Oh, Garfield. Okay, and we're also not talking. Again. We're not. We're not commenting on the quality <laughs> we're not of any of these movies. Commenting on the quality of these movies, we're commenting on the the technical and artistic merits of well, animation. Garfield, <laughs> not story merits. So, so you're referring referring to the live action yes, ones, the Bill Murray, the Bill Murray voice ones, yeah, yeah with Breckenmeyer. So I've never really seen all the movies, so I can't really be an accurate judge. But I will say is this. Garfield, and even if you count the Tale of Two Kitties, where there's the doppelganger Garfield, who's English. I can't believe you just said that so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Tale of Two Kitties. Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah. But that's what they that's what they that's what they call the movie. I know, but it was just so funny how serious and like nonchalant you just said that with no hint of irony whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Sorry. I was trying to sound academic for a moment, and I guess I failed. So, no, no, you succeeded so well, and that's what's so funny about it. <laughs> if, so if you look at those those two films, Garfield, or in this case, the doppelganger as well, who looks just like him, 
those are the only characters that are computer generated. I, I mean, I could be wrong because in the second one, there's more characters who talk, I think. But from what I remember from Garfield, Garfield is the only character who looks that way. And mm-hmm. even like Odie, who even in the comic strips and in the, the animated series, looked very similar to Garfield. In fact, the whole world looks similar to that. Yeah. It just it sticks out like a sore thumb when he's when Garfield's the only character who's supposed to be a real live cat, but looks the way he does. Um, totally cartoony, but with all the textures of a real life cat. It's just awkward. I just I don't know why they made that choice. I would have I would personally would have liked to see a Garfield movie that was done Pixar style where it's oh yeah I live think... texture but still very deliberately sure, stylized. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so while we're talking about things that have been, you know, revamped, let's also consider ugh, Smurfs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Alvin and the Chipmunks. Alvin and Chipmunks Hop. or Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Bullwinkle certainly is valid because they make no pretense that they're trying to make these characters real. They are cartoon characters yes, in yes. the real world. And even though they are computer generated, they are two dimensional. Well and then and then for Alvin and Chipmunks, the guy's caught off guard because he's like, What the hell, these are talking chipmunks, you know? Yeah, so, they they kinda lose that's tough because they, they ignore the fact that they're animated at that point. They're but just they are no, not necessarily ignoring the fact that they're animated. I think they're actually kind of accepting that they're animated because he's again he's caught off like caught off guard like talking chipmunks what the hell is going on he's not saying that they're animated but he's definitely saying this is bizarre that there are talking chipmunks in my world right now yes so they acknowledge he acknowledges the absurdity of it at the same time if the animators had done strict interpretations of chipmunks they would not have looked that way so there's enough characterization done to that character artistically speaking Mm -hmm. that they are cartoon characters so that does count as animation and not trying to blend in yes i would say it is valid but i would not necessarily say it was a good choice but it was valid same as the smurfs would you like to see live action alvin and the chipmunks uh, I think that would have been hilarious to try to wrangle to have someone be the chipmunk wrangler for that movie. That and try would be to train the chipmunks. So bizarre. Because <laughs> um, that would Actually, have failed horribly. You know what that would have been? That would have been a lot of still shots. I think of it, like doing it like old style, where like just the mouth is animated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It, it wouldn't have worked. It, they wouldn't have been able to pull down it, do it in any, any other way. No. Then that begs the question: Why even try at that point? It's to make money. That's all it was. I'm sure that somebody out there really, really did like Alvin and the Chipmunks and said, "Man, let's just let's just redo this and share that magic with our kids and not quite succeed as much as one." Would um, now here's a big one. Well, it succeeded S- enough for them to make a squeakquel, so you know. Yeah, this, and of course, Chipwrecked, right? That was this, the third one. There was a third one. Oh, there's the third one, Chipwrecked. Yeah, fucking a. Wah, wah. Yeah, it's them. <laughs> it's them on a cruise and they get shipwrecked on an island and they have to. It's like Castaway with the chipmunks. It's fucking weird. Castaway with chipmunks. <laughs> what? See that would that be interesting. Would watch. See Tom Hanks on an island where he imagines the three chipmunks start talking to him Whoa. would have been way more interesting that than is a, a whole a other movie. <laughs> Oh, and that also begs the question with Scooby-Doo. Ah, yes. Because Scooby-Doo was intended to be a live-action adaptation, but yet you couldn't do the dog without the dog being animated. Even though they did everything they could to make the Great Dane look real, Yes. there's still the eyes and the mouth that are very Scooby-Doo. That walks into a very gray area at that point. That is a very gray area. And Scrappy-Doo as well, right? Because Scrappy ended up being the villain, which I thought was actually fucking genius for the first... The movie wasn't that great, but I did I don't really remember that. I remember Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar. That was, like, the best part of that movie is... And, oh, God, who... uh, Matthew Lillard? Was it Matthew Lillard Matthew Lillard was Shaggy, yeah. Oh, what's her bucket? Who is she? Who played Velma? What's her name? (laughs) I don't know, but Sound Guy just said she's really hot. The chick that played Velma? Yeah. She was pretty good looking. 
remember, but the, the thing I'm I thought was I'm gonna look it up. The thing I thought movie. you can look it up. The thing I thought was brilliant about that movie is they took the dumbest character from that world, which is Scrappy Doo. Well, they immediately he wasn't the dumbest. He was the most courageous. Puppy power, really? You, you okay? You gotta skew young. <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, they give him an immediate out in the first act because he's just this annoying character that the character the people don't like, and he ends up being the bad guy of the movie. I think that is genius that they work him back in. He ends up being this this, this disgruntled, Linda jaded. Cardellini. Cardellini? Cardellini. There you go. What's she done recently? Because she looks totally different when she's not in the Velma makeup. She was on ER. Oh, okay. Cool. I will say, though, she's that... She's in Grandma's Boy. <laughs> awesome. Apparently she was in Brokeback Mountain, but I don't remember her in that movie. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, she's that... She's cute, though. Matthew Lillard was amazing in that movie, in, like, capturing Shaggy's he did, voice. He did play a good Shaggy. Yeah, he really did justice to the character. Whether or not I liked the story, and I really didn't, but he was good, at least. I, I think he was the best part of that movie. I don't even remember. I'm surprised you remember that much about that movie. Yeah. Well, I used to watch Scooby-Doo a lot as a kid, and so I, I was very interested in seeing how that movie would mm. be done. Originally, Mike Myers was going to play Shaggy, and they... What? Yeah, th- and that was in an earlier version that didn't get produced. Yeah, he was going to write the script for it, too. And That's weird. Oh, hey. Now that we bring it up, The Mask. Ooh, I love this. This is great. Still have action. Even though he's emulating the characters, it's because The Mask gives him the ability. Yes. Right? So it's justified within the context of that world. Yes. But it's not a cartoon coming into interacting yeah. with, with real life. Right. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I wanted to make sure we were on the same page with yeah, that one. Yeah, but it's definitely a fun thing to talk about because, of yes. course, how can he not look at the whole screwball moment where he turns into the wolf and goes, woo, 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 you know? Yeah. The Tex Avery style. He does the whole yeah. whispering and, like, people who, whenever they do that, they magically hover as they're pounding the, the chair on the table. Do you ever yes. notice that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I really, I used to love Tex Avery cartoons. They were great. They were. I think he was the guy who invented the dun 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 dun. I mean, he wasn't the composer, but I think it was his style that gave you that quintessential um, mechanical moving the music. The Rube Goldberg machine? All that mechanical stuff? The usually, when you have factory things yeah. happening, and it's usually something to do with... Yeah, they're usually overdoing that for yeah. Rube Goldberg machines. Yeah. Rube Goldberg was an American cartoonist. Gotcha. Okay, so it was Rube so Goldberg. So it wasn't Tex Avery who did that. Tex okay. Avery was the guy who did The Howling Wolf with the Vixen and um, like Droopy Dog and gotcha. all those ones. That's Tex okay. Avery. It's funny to bring this full circle because that theme was used as the opening for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, mm-hmm. which, of course, was preceded by, do you remember, the Roger Rabbit and the little yes. baby shorts that were a follow-up to the success from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. So I can't believe I just made that happen. That's I awesome. Like it. <laughs> We've success. come full circle. Hop, to make a more recent reference, yeah, I guess it counts because there's more than one character that's animated in it. There's the, the birds... The original Easter Bunny is in it as well. So it looks odd, but these characters are in their own kind of world. The world of the Easter Bunny is animated pretty much. Okay. And then when he interacts with humans, they're just, they're humans. So another odd gray area, but. I think that, I think that's just pretty much mixing animation and and not not doing a technical type thing. It's intended to be cartoony looking. What's been a more recent example though? Because that can't be the last one. Smurfs. Smurfs came out after Oh, that. yeah. I tried to forget that one ever existed. I, I didn't even see it. <laughs> I didn't even though I bother. Love and they're apparently making a sequel, too. <sighs> Can you hear the groaning nerds? Can you hear the rage? The quiet rage it's that we were feeling? It's not a quiet rage so much as a, just a quiet disappointment. <laughs> oh, well, I was just making it hyperdramatic by calling it rage. Sure. Extreme disappointment. There you go. Yeah. 
I think Hannah and Barbara are both turning in their graves. Right? <laughs> 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 They're turning in their respective graves. All right, so let's let's not focus on the crappy ones, but let's let's think to the, some of our favorites. Space okay. Jam. Space Jam. Space Jam. Space Jam is great, and I actually I now's didn't... your chance. Do your dance. It's the Space Jam. <laughs> that was awesome. I. I also love Looney Tunes back in action. You know, it, I actually don't think I ever saw that one. It when it's it takes itself a little less seriously. Actually, takes itself a lot less seriously, but it's very much in the spirit mm-hmm. of the Looney Tunes cartoons. Like, there's a whole bit where, of course, TNT comes out and Jen Elfman goes, "Who carries dynamite?" And the Daffy Duck's like, "Welcome to my world." <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And they address all the weird stuff, like Bugs Bunny dressing up in drag. They said, yeah, in the 30s, that would have been funny, but now it's just awkward. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff in the background, going on in the background. Like, there's the whole, remember the whole sheepdogs? Mm-hmm. The sheepdog and the wolf? Yes. There's a great scene in the commissary in the Warren Brothers studios. Bugs Bunny and uh, Jenna Elfman are talking. And in the background, you see the sheep who's at a table, and uh, Fred tries to sneak up on him, and Sam just goes up and just, like, whips, beats him, <laughs> all in the background. It's It's hilarious. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It really showed respect for the old cartoons. I've already mentioned it like five times already, but Roger Rabbit is one of my favorites. Of course. Because it manages to also bridge the gap between Disney and Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. as well as all the third-party powerhouses of animation from the old, the classic era. Right. And I, I'm just blown away that they got the licensing for all that, because Touchstone Pictures was clearly a Disney property at that point, and they managed to get Warner Brothers on board and get all these other characters, Universal with uh, Woody Woodpecker and mm-hmm. uh, Droopy Dog and all those, and they brought them all together into one film, and it's just it's beautiful. That was really awesome, and I, I love Roger Rabbit. That's just one of those ones that is just so completely ingrained in my childhood. Same thing with Mary Poppins. Yeah, of course. I remember Jessica, please. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I just love the baby. The baby. Oh, the baby dogs like this. Yeah. Cigar smoking baby. That's awesome. I hope that that's my (laughs) kid. Pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah. Don't I'm going to be sitting in my trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He was funny, especially with his, with his how, much he wanted to be treated like a movie star, too. Yeah. It was very clever. Very much a comment on current Hollywood, too. Right. Yeah. And although I remember as a kid, like, getting really freaked out the first time I saw Christopher Lloyd turn into, like, the oh, of cartoon. Course. I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Remember me, Eddie? <laughs> Did I kill you, brother? <laughs> yeah, and yes. I came in. Yeah. I, I like your impression. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but he, he was great. And Christopher Lloyd is kind of a cartoony character himself, just when yes. he's not when he's acting. So yes, 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 it was yes, an yes. excellent choice in that regard. What I was really impressed with is how they were able to recreate 1940s LA mm-hmm. with the streetcars and everything, because that's really hard to do now. And they did it so well. They did it really, really I well. I think there was a lot about that movie that was just really yeah beautifully done. But Zumekis is a master. Like sure. he he takes his work very seriously mm-hmm. and makes sure it all works. So good on him for that. We can't not talk about Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, straight up. That one, again, super ingrained in my childhood. It's actually my dad's favorite Disney movie. But I just love the idea of them just jumping into the sidewalk chalk art mm-hmm. and getting transported to this whole other world. Yeah. And it's so fun how they did it. Um, having just this whole like cartoony background and then the carousel and then the horses going off the carousel and then like just going around and... and um, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, that whole scene with the animated band, the penguin dancing, yeah. the barnyard animals. It's just, it was awesome. It was this whole other 
world and you knew it was a different world and yeah. you knew that it was like some kind of more fantastical thing that was so completely unbelievable that even when the kids are like but don't you remember this happened mary bob's just like i don't know what you guys are talking about yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a great movie and it's so quintessentially disney mm-hmm. as well Speaking of which, speaking of a more recent movie that I really enjoyed, I loved Enchanted as well. Enchanted was really good. Well, okay. So here's the deal. That little chipmunk in that one. He crosses that that line. I think that that went into technical. I think that one's not necessarily actually a mix, a true mix of the animation and no. live action because... Because the worlds never quite cross. Well, but because when they go in from animation into our world, when they, they go from the fairy tale land, they become real people. So I think... That was one of those things they were kind of bound by. The only time they actually interact is when... It's the queen is the talking queen is to... The queen is talking to the guy, her Timothy little Spall's henchman. Timothy character, yeah. Her henchman when she's talking in the... But that, like, hardly counts, I think. I agree, but nevertheless, it works because you do have two different worlds that do interact, but even though they don't see them in the same frame... I guess so. It's, it's tough. Personally, I think it qualifies. It's hard because, yes, it's in the same movie, but that doesn't necessarily mean, again, they're not interacting, so... There are a couple movies that I I, mean, I remember as from a kid, and I, I remember enjoying for the most part, like The Incredible Mr. Limpet. Mm-hmm. Has kind of a sad ending to it though, because like you wouldn't, when you see animation, there's an expectation that the story is going to be light and it's going to be a happy ending. But The Incredible Mr. Limpet is definitely not a happy ending. I guess it is in a way, but it's not what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. You know, have you seen the movie? I have not seen that movie in so very, very long. I don't even really remember what it was about. So the overall story is that Don Knotts' character, uh-huh. Mr. Limpet, is turned into a fish. Right. Through some form of mystical right. happenstance. But when he becomes a fish, all the fish in that world are animated. Yes. Uh, very clearly cartoony so. And they do interact with the live action people. And there's mm-hmm. a point in time where he basically, I don't remember if there's ever a chance for him to be turned back, but the story ends with him being a fish and he doesn't, you know, he has to say goodbye to his fiance and he lives, he goes and lives among the fishes. And it's this really kind of bittersweet ending, yeah. which is very uncharacteristic of Disney. Disney almost always has a happy ending. Especially since fish don't have a very long life expectancy. Exactly. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to live out my life. And then he dies two days later. Later. <laughs> Like, oh, that was not what I was expecting. Yeah, that's yeah. much. Well, and then Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, of course, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Great movie. Bobbing along, bobbing along. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember ever seeing Pete's Dragon, but... You don't remember seeing Pete's Dragon? Uh, I mean, I know of the movie, of course, but I've never actually recall seeing it. Uh, I remember seeing it when I was a kid. Yeah. It's not I one think, of those ones that was, like, absolutely my favorite, now, but... Could we argue that that one was a technical choice? Because the dragon's the only element in that movie that's animated, right? Sure. But I don't think they were. I don't think it was expected to to see a dragon around, though. I think that that was kind of one of those things. Like it's like, whoa, this is really weird. It's kind of like the Alvin and the Chipmunks thing. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's another gray area, I guess. Yeah. Because yeah, the the dragon is the only thing. I guess animated. when you're getting into animation, because you're in, you're going from a world that's limited to a world that is limitless. Yes. And trying to cross those two together, you do get those areas where you def- you break mm-hmm. accepted technique. Yeah. And they become these movies where you're not quite sure what to do with them. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's it's yeah. very fun to see people still wanting to experiment with that, though. Right. Um, and I guess, you know, to bring it back to, to Billy's thing is, is Cool World. Again, another one where it is very clearly, you know, animation mixed. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen a lot of snippets of it. Um, it's a Ralph Bakshi movie. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very dark. It's very dark, very aesthetically dark, and story wise. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, there, there's like prostitutes, like cartoon prostitutes or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and there's actually a rule that in that world, tunes 
cannot have sex with humans. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you do it, you become a toon. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, like, there's this whole moment where Brad Pitt has to become a cartoon character, and he's a human. It's bizarre. It's truly bizarre. It is really weird. And and Kim Basinger kind of bounces back and forth between yeah. being a cartoon and a And that's where the line person. crosses. That's where the whole thing gets effed up, is because she's one of the first toon characters to go reverse. Yeah. Yeah. Very very weird movie. I remember I remember seeing the ads for it in um, comic books when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, because nerd. Hello, but um, I remember in like old Batman comic books there would be ads for this cool world thing. I was like, this doesn't look like a, a movie that I'm supposed to be able to see. Yeah. And sure enough, I wasn't. I do remember ended up watching it when it was on a premium channel finally, mm-hmm. and even at like seven years old, just like what the hell's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and it's really bizarre, and I guess from one of the clips that I saw, like, Brad Pitt's walking down a hallway, and he's dragging his hand, like, along the wall, and at his fingertips, they're kind of, like, going through the wall, and there's, like, all this, you know, yellow light or whatever, mm-hmm. um, kind of showing the whole crossing over into, like, the tune world, et cetera. That, right. that was kind of interesting. So, I mean, if anything, they had fun with the visuals of the movie. Yeah. Um, even though it's just freaking odd. And that movie probably wouldn't have been made possible if it wasn't for the rampant success mm-hmm. of Roger Rabbit. Yeah, and it was kind of like almost like a really, really twisted take on something similar to Roger Rabbit. Yeah, really exactly. Odd. Yeah, very much so. so. Yeah, it just I need to go back and watch it again, I think. It just felt, I mean, I clearly, the movie, I don't think the movie did very well either when it came out. I don't out. think so either. I, well, I, I remember trying to watch it a little over a year ago, I guess. I was just bored and playing Netflix roulette. And, uh... <laughs> Wait, you're doing what? Netflix roulette where you just kind of like go and you just randomly pick something and watch it. Okay. Because I, I, I think of chat roulette when you say the roulette and like that. Like, that's it's like, the first thing you think of, not the gambling game or Russian roulette, but chat roulette. When you where put, you're more likely to see some dongs. <laughs> Great, Brian. I'm glad that that is the first thing you think of. <laughs> when you're saying uh, you're playing Netflix roulette and there's a screen in front of you, yes, that's what comes to mind. Sure. Dongs. Dongs come to Brian's mind. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I guess I walked into that one. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, so I, when I decided to just randomly watch whatever the fuck movie on, on Netflix, um, I landed on Cool World and I was like, okay, well, Brad Pitt's nice to look at, so let's go see something else that he's done that I haven't seen and I think I started to watch the first 15 minutes of it or so, and I was just like, and I'm good. It was just, it was really odd, and I wasn't, and I know I've said odd about it a bunch of times, but um, yeah, well, I just wasn't in a place to watch it. If you it. can't finish watching a movie, that's a pretty telling yeah. sign about the film. Mm-hmm. You know? Or my attention span at the moment. Could be. I mean, you know, I would like Kevin Smith's idea that you have to see a film all the way to accurately yes. no, judge I, it. Yes. No, I completely agree. Yeah. But if you can't go... You can't finish it. Well, that's almost like a silent judgment on the film, too. Not necessarily. There have been plenty of movies that I know are supposed to be really good that I just haven't been able to watch all the way through. Mostly because I fall asleep, James Bond. <laughs> I like so. to test this theory that it puts you to sleep. I'm telling you, you get me in like a, a nice, cozy living room, pop in a James Bond movie, I fall asleep. So, like, if you had like a tall coffee beforehand, you're not going to fall asleep if you watch it? I haven't ever really tried specifically with the intention of staying up. It's one of those things like, I don't know. It's I'm, been more circumstantial. Yeah, like I'm, I'm attempting to watch this movie and I fall asleep. Yeah. And, and it's not one of those things like I'm purposefully trying to keep myself awake, so I'm going to drink a bunch of coffee. I'm pretty sure I would stay awake at that point. 
I always seem to be watching these movies on like weekend afternoons where I'm just like, ah, oh, nap time. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'd love to see. What? I would love to see Pixar delve into crossing into live action. Not hmm. to not to say they were going to do a live action movie, but that they start they they do their see if they can make a movie work <gasps> where you cross live action and they've animation. done it sort of Wally, in Wally. Oh, and you're right in a way because Fred Willard was the president. Fred Willard's video from whatever, and that one's interesting because of the fact that you I, and actually I remember watching it really relatively recently and going wow that was a really interesting choice. Why did they not choose to? Why did that human have to look so different than all the other? But he's humans? also watching Hello Dolly too. Right. This is true. The humans that you're seeing in that movie are intended to be a much, much more lackluster version of humans because yeah. they become lethargic and lazy. Right. And we got that by their shape. Right. So I think that was a creative choice okay. in that case. Yeah. I'd like to see a fully... Uh, um, like a like fully immersed. A fully immersed situation and see how they interact with it. It'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of interesting. Kind of do kind of do the Mary Poppins, the, and again, I'll bring it up, so- Song of the South did it too. Recreate Zippity-Doo-Dah with that. It's funny you bring up Song of the South because that movie is... Controversial. Controversial. It's one of those movies that's never going to come out of the... Of, the, uh, of course not. ...of the vault because yeah. of how racist it is. But mm-hmm. but they, they did try to re- re-edit it and call it Fun and Fancy Free, and I think it was just the, the Briar Bear, the Briar Rabbit, and the Fox yeah. bits put together. I was like, <laughs> no, Disney... You can't make money off of this. Actually, Here's your million dollars of shame. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the funny thing is, is I've I've heard arguments arguing against it being racist, saying it was more of a reflection of the time, but that's... You know, and I actually, I've seen about half of it yeah. um, from Bootleg. And the time, I mean, they're, they're, they're shooting Reconstruction around mm-hmm. the... Recon- or, or just before... At least, or just before the Civil War. And so, yes, there is some... There's a lot of accuracy in that sense, that yeah. you have these characters these people who had to unfortunately had to play stereotypes like aunties and uncle toms um, to survive and that's true but i felt like with those characters they were genuinely playing those characters they weren't putting on a mask as the reality of the situation was so mm-hmm. it's definitely a fun conversation that's for sure yeah it's a good discussion starter and of course we owe splash mountain to uh, song of the south too. i hate that ride yeah i hate that ride <laughs> I really, I don't like drops and oh. like roller coasters yeah. and rides. And every single time I've been on that ride, you can't actually, like, you know how they take the picture? Yeah. When, right when you drop? You can never actually see me in the picture because I'm crouched over so low that, no, like, you just see, like, a missing space. I felt so bad because last time I did that, uh, I, we ran into some friends at Disneyland and we hung out for a little bit. And we decided to go on Splash Mountain. And my friend and his aunt were in the front, and me and my girlfriend at the time were in the back. And they got drenched, and we were fine. <laughs> we we got like a little bit of wet on the like, side of our pants, but yeah. like I was just like, wow! And like they got like yeah, fucking soaked <laughs> off of that ride. Uh, it's like that and the the uh, Jurassic Park, which is basically just dinosaur splash mountain. I hate that ride too. Yeah, same reason because you drop down and you get this giant splash at the bottom. Yes, too. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that ride for multiple reasons. One for the drop and the splash, but also because hey, you are a monument to racism. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, go figure. And that's probably why every time I've been there, it's been surprisingly down for maintenance. Coincidence? If you're going, I think not. if you're going in off season, it's usually just because it's shut down for off season because it's too cold. Oh. But I was there in the spring once, and oh, really? it, was st- it was still down for maintenance. Huh, interesting. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. people have gotten stuck on that one. I got stuck on Haunted Mansion once. That was awkward. I've been stuck on Indiana Jones like four times, and the last time I, we actually had to walk off the ride. Yeah. It would be really suck if, you, if you're stuck on the rope bridge. Uh-huh. That would be the worst possible time for you to get stuck. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
Although no, so where I where I've been stuck before though is right when the the rolling boulder is about to come down on you. So like you got it just stops. No, so we got well we got stuck there and the boulder's just like rolling and you like look directly above you and there's like the animatronic Indiana Jones who's just dangling above you. Sorry for for those of you who've never been to Disneyland and haven't. Gotten You're to totally popping this your ride. Disneyland cherry. Um, but this is Indiana Jones. If you ever do get a chance to go to Disneyland, Indiana Jones is like one of the best rides ever, and. <laughs> Sorry, sound guy. Um, sound guy's never been to Disneyland. That's we're gonna have to fix that. We're just he's he's weeping that. right now. Um, no, no, put the razor blade down. <laughs> put it, put it down. It's not put worth it. it. <laughs> and so we right, yeah, we got stuck right as this rolling boulder is supposed to come down, and then again we were stuck there for several minutes, and then they're just like, okay, we're this, it's almost closing. We're not gonna save this ride. You know, they turned on the lights. We all walked off. And I totally saw how they did the whole boulder effect to make it seem like it was going to roll down on top of you and how you dropped well, underneath What a it. fucking dumb way to end your day, too. Dude, that was awesome. I'm Okay, so I'm one of those people. Like, I am such a nerd. I love seeing how these things happen. And one of my secret, like, passions, or not passions, but one of my secret, like, desires um, is to be a Disney Imagineer just because I want to design that stuff. I wish I was more of an engineering type person because yeah. I would love to be part of that. That would be amazing. Uh, being an Imagineer would be incredible because you have to think of the experience from every single angle mm-hmm. and every single perspective, you know, intellectually as well as, well as scientifically. Um, it's also harder to do than become an engineer at NASA, apparently. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no, no. It's it's really, really difficult. And this is a really bizarre tangent that we just went on. That's okay. Sorry, we're just but, talking you know, about Disneyland now. <laughs> well, in a way, Disneyland is a personalized reenactment of live action and animation interaction. So I don't, I think it's quite relevant. Well done. Well done. And Thank they you. have the Roger Rabbit ride. They do. They have Toontown. They have yes, the Mickey's the Toontown. That's Mickey's Toontown. But yes, it's Toontown yeah. nonetheless. Toontown is so much fun, too. It is. But that's one of those ones you really, the younger you are, the more you get to appreciate yeah. that. I remember it came out. I was there the first day it, came, it opened, mm-hmm. um, day before Thanksgiving in 1994. So the Roger Rabbit had been out for six years at this point, but had had such a popular following because of the yeah. uh, Honey, and Shrink the Kids shorts um, beforehand. It's just like they decided to do it right off of it. And so I remember being like, I'm in a cartoon. This is amazing. Yeah. And then I went on it again about a year ago, and I was like, this is still pretty cool, but it's... It's meant for for small people. It's meant for kids. I should say. I love the Roger Rabbit ride. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I have so much fun and just in all the stuff that you get to interact with in Toontown. They've got um, all these things like boxes that you open and stuff where you know things are said and it's funny and it's kind of weird and everything's a little off and cartoony. Okay, we need to do a Nerdonomy field trip to Disneyland. Uh, yes. Yes, we need to. We need to. Use company funds, which in this case is our, our, our wallets. Our personal funds. Exactly, our personal funds. <laughs> Unless, of course, you guys want to fund our trip to Disneyland. Buy lots and lots of t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to do this because yeah. this needs to happen. Although, you know what makes me really sad, though, is um, I remember when Toontown was, again, like early opened up and stuff, and then um, you could go into Goofy's Bounce House, which um, in Toontown, they have Mickey's House, Minnie's House, Donald's House, and Goofy's House. And Chippendale's like treehouse or whatever. Um, but Goofy's house, when you go in, everything's inflatable and it's like just a jump house. Mm-hmm. And you just go in and, and jump around and it's cool. They now have age limits on it. And um, it makes me really sad because I would love to just bust into Goofy's bounce house, play some like the most raging freaking metal. I want like Lamb of God or like a Monomarth. And I just want to start raging in there and throwing kids. That'd be awesome. <laughs> 
and be like, no, metal, and just, just start throw, freaking just raging. throwing kids at walls. <laughs> oh, and that'd be that would be, that'd be hilarious epic. to watch, but terrifying to be part of. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's why we can never go back to Disneyland. <laughs> this is why Sarah's um, not allowed. Yeah, though, in uh, no, actually. <laughs> It would be cool if we did Disneyland, then Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. I've never done two in the same trip since uh, a long time. Oh, really? So two in one trip. And then, I guess, Magic Mountain. But Magic Mountain's not really... No, I'm not into that. It's not really f- film. It's no, just no. Warner Brothers influenced. You know what's better? Legoland. Well, there's that. No. Um, San Diego. Medieval Times. Oh. We would have to go to Medieval Times, we have for to go to medieval, sure. Medieval. And if we could somehow get a way to get into the Magic Castle in L.A. You have to be a member, oh. but that's like one of the premium places to go see magic Yeah. in that city. That'd be like the perfect nerd field trip. Well, we would have to. Well, we would have to go to Hollywood and just do. Of course, all see that. the El Capitan Theater. See, Eric would love to see Grauman's Chinese Theater, even yeah. though it's not really open anymore. But just to see it, how I've I've been there. Apparently, I have the same size hands and feet as Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and of course, Man's Chinese Theater as well. Yeah, that would be yeah. uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a discussion I really want to bring to our nerd followers. Mm-hmm. So, guys, please tweet us or Facebook us or email us, of course, uh, what you think your favorite live-action animation mashup is, uh, whether you agree with our assessment that it has to come from a cartoony world to be considered animated live-action mashup. Yeah, we really love it when you guys debate it with us, like, especially on comments That's on amazing when we do that. And we have some yeah. people who are very opinionated who follow us. And it's been a while since we've had a good kind of discussion some discourse yeah where we're actually like you know this is has to be this way this has to be that way so absolutely we kind of agreed a lot on this so it's like it wasn't as fun as i wish we it's fun it's more fun when we are on opposite sides of the of the debate i think true true kind of like how i was expecting our, our, our critics episode to be more of a throwdown drag out fight and it wasn't <laughs> it was very civil it probably wouldn't have been if, if eric wasn't there yeah and if there was alcohol involved oh yeah that would have been great <laughs> Um, so you guys can totally, um, yes, come back at us on Facebook if you go to Nerds on Film. Um, or you can also follow us on Twitter at Nerdonomy. Or you guys can email us if you felt like it. I'm Sarah at Nerdonomy.com. And I'm Brian at Nerdonomy.com. And of course, if you don't feel comfortable giving us your personal email, you can email us through our website as well. Yes. With the listener feedback button on Nerdonomy.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, guys, thank you again for listening. We appreciate it. Show us some love, too. Please like us. Buy a t-shirt. Be nice. Tell your friends. Tell your friends about this awesome podcast, or at least the podcast that we think is awesome, that you guys know is awesome. And um, share the love, please. Comment on on iTunes. Yes, give us a review on iTunes, too. That would be great. All right. Folks, you have a wonderful week. And roll credits. And now for your listening pleasure, movie quotes you should not say during sex. Please, sir, I want some more. More!